The Trek Files, Season 7, Episode 15, Gene Roddenberry Correspondence, 1965. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Welcome back, Star Trek fans. Hey, all you Star Trek historians, all you canonistas, yes, of course I say that lovingly, <laughs> all you tech heads out there, listen, we're going to have a really fun episode. We're going to gather everyone under the Trekophiles banner here, spelled with an F. Uh, you're going to enjoy this. It's one of our more offbeat episodes, although, well, you know, we have dealt with correspondence before. We say the Trek files, but that's not always, you know, important memos and script notes. Sometimes it's well, right out of Gene's mailbag. We've, we've had a lot of fun with fan letters in the past, but we have a different assortment of correspondence today. Uh, have I got you intrigued yet? Well, listen, <laughs> do what you do. Go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Trek Files. We've got several documents for you. I'm going to have a guest on in a moment, but take a look at those. Here's a verbal sample of one of the more unusual ones. I'm just going to whet your appetite there. Take a listen and then be right back. Dear Sir, this is to report and request assistance for a rather severe rat infestation. The rear of this property at 10422 Whiten Drive is heavily covered with dead tree trunks, rotting vegetation, and other debris which appears to be a nesting place for a large number of rats which infect the property there and adjoining property. Please, the property in question is owned by an elderly lady with whom I have no quarrel and wish none and I wish to cause her no inconvenience other than a proper control of what can be as dangerous to her as to us. Please do not use my name and address if it can be avoided. There you go, Trekophiles. It's rat infestation week on the Trek Files. No, seriously. <laughs> this is a great, great microcosm. It's a pastiche of, of Gene's, just a sample of what was, well, being sent by Gene out into the world on all the different circles, all the different levels that he had to exist at as an up-and-coming producer in Hollywood. We're talking 1965, right on the cusp of uh, the cage, even seeing the light of day before it could be turned down. So, who else to join me on digging through Gene's mail like this? But our friend, you know him from Mission Log and Mission Log Live. And yes, he does produce and, and uh, put together this podcast every week. John Champion, get in here and let's dive into Gene's mail here. Yeah, it, it is uh, his mail and his personal stuff. And some of it work related. Some of it, uh, as we will uh, barrel toward the end there and share the details of that rat letter. Um, but uh, but, but let, let's look here at... At, uh, we're going to jump around on the calendar a little bit. Let's start off with October of 1965. Mm -hmm. I, you know, the, the thing that's so fun to me about a lot of these is that, well, it really illustrates the time involved in correspondence in the pre-internet age. We take so much mm -hmm. for granted today, and this one really spells it out. October 1965, Gene is trying to get subscription information 
about uh, the Manchester Guardian. And uh, here is this nicely typed letter. Please note, anywhere you see DCF, that is Dorothy Fontana, right. typing right. up Jean's correspondence. And... You know, today you would go online, you'd look up The Guardian and you would read what you wanted to read. Or if you needed, if you could even get a physical subscription overseas, you would get all the information there. And in this case, Gene had to record the letter, probably on a dictation machine. Dorothy had to type it up. It had to get approved. It had to get sent out overseas. Somebody (laughs) had to read it and respond to it. That had to come back. And then if he wanted to get the subscription, he would have to go get the right currency to right, buy that. Right. I mean, this could take weeks and weeks and weeks. And what do yeah. you do? You wire the money for a subscription? I mean, it's amazing how Maybe. much, you know, yeah. people people critique, people that are trying to really appreciate younger fans who are trying to watch the original series and talk about, oh, it moves so slowly. Well, <laughs> it, it, was, it was jam-packed. It was flying compared to a lot of TV in the 60s. Yeah. But then again, it was the 60s. And it's a letter like this, a whole, a little mundane situation like this that reminds us this is what was involved in daily life. And even if it, Gene was not a star producer yet, but even if, you know, as a as an up and coming producer writer, you had to stop and break things down and you had to write yeah. the letter to Manchester. Now, why he was going to Manchester, England is kind of intriguing or why he wanted a paper from there. He's doing yeah. research for yeah, some project. Doesn't 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 rate. But uh, yeah. Yeah. The fact is, this would be four or five keystrokes now from right. from information to pay for it. Right, Um, right. And and another thing that would be considerably easier to find now, the very next letter, also mm -hmm. from October 65, he is trying to get information uh, about an officer uh, on the LAPD uh, who it it looks like there was a uh, a court case uh, against him. And Gene is trying to get a transcript of that case in order to write a play. Mm -hmm. Uh, Officer Hannon it was a play, yeah. which is interesting yeah. right there. I mm-hmm. mean, th- how many plays did Gene write? And I don't think anything ever came of this, although it might have yeah. gone into some. But here's uh, here's Gene being socially aware. He's pointing out that he's in the ACLU. Yeah. And, and, and we know Gene's, you know, uh, background is his father was a beat cop for LAPD. Mm-hmm. He was, too, then a motorcycle cop, then a speechwriter for for the chief of police. But mm-hmm. the amazing thing is I had never heard of Officer Hannon and Zing this just in. Um, uh, uh, Hannon was a uh, was a cop, was an LAPD cop in the 60s. He'd been there seven years. And right before this, this is all hot news in ripped from the headlines in 1965. He had gone out. He was a cop with a conscience, apparently, and had taken part in civil rights protests, in anti-war peace protests. And was charged by LAPD with 10 counts of conduct and becoming an officer and came up for review and was found guilty on nine of them. And then later on became a lawyer and defended cops who were accused of various things later. Wow. Yeah. And and that that really speaks to the heart of, I mean, obviously, Gene had been working on the lieutenant um, and he is Mm -hmm. writing stuff that has a uh, a social heart to it. Uh, See also Star Trek. So, um, you know, this is sort of perfect that he would be interested in this kind of case. And then and uh, signaling right up there up front, as you pointed out, that he's a member of the CLU. These are issues that are important to him. 
him. Uh, so I love seeing that in his uh, in his interests, even well before we get right. to the social conscience uh, that Star Trek is so well known that was, for. That was in Gene's DNA. So this is Michael mm-hmm. Hannon. He's passed away since. But this is also the time when Gene's working on uh, the police story pilot. So it's it's not trying to be activist, mm-hmm. but uh, but just yeah. keeping that vibe, keeping what's current, what's hot, yeah. you know, in, yeah. in police work right now. And then uh, the next one is fun. We'll, we'll backtrack a little bit to <laughs> April of 65, because this is absolutely the thing that would be a text today. You can right. tell it's written between a couple of people who just know each other well, and they're kind of joking around. Uh, so it's Gene writing to E. Jack Newman saying, it, just starting out with, OK, you have the assignment. I'm giving a talk to a radio and television fraternity next month, and you get the ghostwriting job. No pay, but lots of gratitude. So it seems to be in response to uh, basically a way of saying congratulations about a talk that E. Jack Newman gave um, and, and he, he, Gene saying he really wishes he could have been there uh, and then seeing the faces of the people uh, when he hit his points. And then I love this. You're the only capitalist I know who has remained a revolutionary. <laughs> love that. Love right, that. Right. Well, yeah. Gene's obviously, you know, even then we talk about Gene, the college tour in the 70s, but he was talking here. He's going to go talk to some students. Mm-hmm. Which, which is what you know gave the thread here to this. But E. Jack Newman, just for everybody, was personal friends. Uh, he had been in the Marines in World War mm-hmm. II, so they were you know that mm-hmm. whole generation, the greatest generation. They're all now yeah. you know, doing their careers, but uh, they were good friends. They met on a long distance plane. E. Jack Newman spoke at. He was one of the speakers at Gene's memorial, mm-hmm. and I was just rereading this. Told the story of uh, how they met. They were on a long haul plane, pre jet age. It's a propeller plane, L. A. to New York. Um, and yeah. they didn't know each other, wound up seated next to each other. He kept calling Gene the big guy in a, in a black overcoat and, and bow tie. <laughs> uh, and they wound up having eight or nine drinks on this slow motion, you know, cross country plane. And finally he said, why are we drinking? And Gene said, Gene said, uh, uh, I used to fly one of these things. I'm, I'm just nervous. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but well, they, he, but no, he had he, been in yeah, three plane crashes. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But no, yeah. no. E. Jack Newman had a long career. He wrote in radio before he came. Uh, over to TV and cool. wrote on Wagon Train, Bonanza, The Untouchables, Dr. Kildare, Twilight nice. Zone, and they shared time, uh, Gunsmoke, and they shared time on uh, on uh, Have Gunwell Travel together, too. Nice. So. And that's this cool little playful writer-to-writer interaction there. And but then, definitely a text today, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, as would be this next one, which is the the draft of a telegram. So it's not the actual Ooh, telegram. A telegram. Uh, from April of 65 to Robert Bleese, congratulating Rob Robert on uh, some new project, some new post that he has, um, and and says that he hopes that they can work together someday. Uh, but we don't really, from April of '65, we don't really have anything that Robert was working on. Right, so, right. I mean, yeah. I dived into you know the IMDb and looked, and apparently he had been mm. a prolific writer. But from about the time of this letter on, his last credit is in 1964 until. 72. Hmm. Uh, he had some great cult movies here in his time. Um, <laughs> High yeah. School Confidential, cool. From the Earth to the Moon, nice. Dr. Fibes Rises Again, uh, nice. Frogs, which is a really cult movie. Um, so I'm thinking maybe he's leaving to go teach. Maybe he's working in some kind of public arena, politics or some social, whatever. But he did come okay. back to writing uh, Frogs and Dr. Fibes Rises Again or, or from 72. Yeah. Uh, but again, um, 
I, I know a little more than I did this morning now, having yeah. uh, re- <laughs> researched this. But again, part of this world of Gene, they're not all big and famous, and he'll, you know, we'll all become household words, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the next one here from May of 65, uh, very interesting for a couple of reasons. So keep in mind that, you know, Gene is still mm-hmm. working in pre-production on what will be the Star Trek pilot cage. So that that's, you know, gaining momentum. But he's also got his eyes on this police show that exactly. he has drafted. So he's got a, uh, mm-hmm. a pilot script here that he sent off to Harry Brown. And he's like, look, there may be some technical stuff in there. But the, what's really interesting is at the bottom of the second paragraph he mentions that he has a couple of ideas for this show one is that Mm -hmm. there are no stereotypes so we we want to have real people depicted in this show and if you think back to that uh, writer's guide for star trek where you give the different scenarios and you say which one would we go with well Mm -hmm. it's the one that treats our characters like real people so that's very much a star trek thing the other thing that is so prescient is he's saying part of the plan is to maybe string a case over six or eight weeks solving it stage by stage as in real police life rather than doing what? stories which must be wrapped up in a single episode. Wait, what year is this? Yeah. It's 1965. Yeah, he's talking about serialized storytelling here, yeah. which which would have been, you know, and not doing it just as a mini a miniseries hadn't even been invented yet, but at least they yeah. came along and were, but it's like they were thought of as like a long movie, but he's definitely talking about taking part of a season yeah. and devoting it to a multi multi-part story here yeah yeah the the only yeah. show that i can think of, i mean if doctor who is even on his radar at all uh <laughs> that you know that there's a show or maybe some other european shows that in the early 60s were doing longer arcs within a season mm-hmm. um but yeah that that's, that's so cool. why he wanted the manchester guardian uh, maybe so maybe <laughs> he that wants was. to read the tea no i'm kidding no yeah. this is this is pretty revolutionary but you know, yeah he's he's you know, he, his world of police work was still very much part of his memory. He's already written about uh, about police research and the vibe of what's going on in the force that might be changing, yeah. right, with the Hannon situation. But here's a case where, as with Star Trek, he's wanting a technical check. Mm-hmm. He's not wanting to jump out there and have somebody you know, call him on a technical thing that could be easily corrected. But, uh, yeah, that structured, um, the structural part is... Yeah. It was long before uh, Lost and everything that's come since, much less the Deep Space Nine shows. Sure, and, uh, yeah. 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 Nothing on Harry Brown, but obviously he's someone who, who works, uh, probably works at LAPD or something yeah. associated. So uh, fast forward now to nearly the end of the year, uh, December 24th. So hmm. New Year's Eve, uh, he is thanking his friend Ted Ashley, uh, addressed to the Ashley Famous Agency. And uh, he said that he ran a couple of pilots by Ted and his wife uh, a few nights ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, the little teaser here is also in that first paragraph. As you probably know by now, Star Trek is out of the lab and the corrected color print should be in sometime <laughs> next week. This is so cool because wow. th- this is the anticipation. They, they've ended the production mm-hmm. stage of the pilot. Now they're waiting to get that color corrected print and then start the, the long haul job of trying to get it sold. 
I mean, look at that date. It's the, it's Christmas Eve. Why yeah. would he be writing on Christmas Eve? He's so excited. It's yeah. only been, they, they wrapped the cage first unit shooting, the live mm-hmm. shooting of it, on the 18th. So this is yeah. A, only six days later, and B, it's Christmas Eve. And here's Ted Ashley, his his agent, who and Ted Ashley, who was a big player in Hollywood, founded Ashley Famous Agency and wound up running Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. the movie studio, for 11 years, all through the 70s. Nice. Um, yeah. And, and so, again, Gene circles. Here's someone that is better known, but on this. And when he says the pilots, I'm he's got to be talking about his pilots because this is the year, aside from the cage in Star Trek, he's got uh, the long hunt of April Savage, mm, right? Okay. And, and yeah. Police Story. So yeah. Police Story had, uh, we were just talking about, had yeah. had uh, D. Kelly in it, had DeForest Kelly as mm-hmm. the lab chief, not a villain. So Gene mm-hmm. got to cast <laughs> him as a good guy. And Grace Lee Whitney as a police woman. Yeah. And uh, Steve Einat that, that played Garth of Eisler later yeah. on. Yeah, Very yeah. cool. And then uh, just a nice little personal thing at the end, though. Thank you, a charming and gracious wife. And then apparently uh, they must have been talking about uh, police procedural stuff because he says, uh, we've been trying to find a fingerprint kit that she asked about. We'll try to get it to you for Christmas. I mean, <laughs> right, uh, okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of a fun thing there. More, Morris Chatnick there, his little gopher uh, assistant under, yeah. b- below Dorothy, uh, but wound up uh, being an executive at Paramount later on. So, oh, nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah, All right. Yeah. And then finally, and the, then. The, the coup de gras, <laughs> yes, uh, the the icing on the infested cake is uh, December 30th. That's uh, an image. So, yeah. <laughs> so December 30th, here he is writing a letter to the uh, acting health officer for the Los Angeles County Health Department. And you'll notice again, Dorothy's wow. initials down at the bottom. And he's got a rat problem because at that time, he lived on uh, South Beverly Glen and the abutting street, uh, which was Whiten or Whitten Drive. Um, apparently, there was an old woman there who had some property with some rotting vegetation, and it was attracting right. rats, and he could not stand it. And I don't blame him one bit exactly. for writing to get this taken care of. Um, but look at the look at the Roddenberry. But look how how careful and how nice he is. He says, "I know she's an older lady. Yeah. She can't keep up her property." This is really affecting us as well as her and the other right. neighbors. I don't want to cause any trouble. Please don't give yeah. her my name. Yeah. But somebody yeah. needs to do something. And, you know, so I'm dictating this letter to my secretary. And notice he signs it E.W. Rundown. Yeah, yes. Yeah. 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 So, uh, but it just... It, yeah, it, it's so personal. It's just, uh, of all the correspondence we have here, there's work stuff, there's personal stuff, and then here's just something like you got to take care of at home as well. So it's in the mix. I some of the stuff I cannot believe they held on to for this many years. Like, That's why the big in the question. World did you have a copy of that? But yet <laughs> there it is. It's the glam life of the up and coming Hollywood producer. What can I say, John? I hope the rat, <laughs> rats got taken care of in 1965. You I know? hope they did. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm certain. They did. Now, yeah. now we'll all have to, we'll have to organize tours to go by and check out the. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally exactly. kidding. I'm kidding. This has been a while. 1965 is a ways off. And but again, what a great look at, at Gene's life, where he was on the eve of greatness, when these yeah. kinds of things occupied his direct time in his day. Right. And, and a look at life in 1965 to where we had to do these kinds of things. Exactly. On paper with stamps. Yeah. Uh, and mailboxes, yeah. John, thanks for jumping in again and having no a, a fun look yeah. through all these letters. We'll do it again. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. 
Now, all of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. And hey, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47, that's me, at LarryNimichek.com. That is where you can also link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop, too. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.